Hello everyone and welcome to Null Signal Station podcast. It's a podcast uh, showing the background to Null Signal games, what's going on behind the scenes and how we are working to make Netrunner. My name is Ginevra. Uh, I'd prefer they as a pronoun, but she is okay too. And I'm here with Sanjay. Hey, it's Sanjay. Uh, he, him. Nice to have you here. And we have today a really nice we've episode got... coming up, don't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we've got an episode um, talking all about the translation of the cards into all sorts of different languages. We've got Seba, also known as Pouch Surfer, if you um, are kind of on GLC or other places. And I'd like to allow Seba to introduce himself. Hi, um, I'm Seba or Pouch Surfer uh, online. Uh, I am one of the two um, heads of the translation team for Null Signal Games. Uh, my preferred pronouns are he, him. And I am at the moment based um, in Philadelphia in the US, but I've sort of been in a few places around the world. Fun inside fact about Seba, I consider him a dear friend. Um, we're in the same sort of Philadelphia area, and uh, we do some tournaments ag- together. It's lovely. And the friendship is very much mutual, just I would like to say. <laughs> All right, that's that's some good inside lore, but we're not here to talk about the Philadelphia meta, are we? Um, why don't we start out just uh, with some uh, basic questions. Seba, um, How'd you get into Netrunner? How did you get into how did you get involved with Null Signal? And actually what what got you interested in translation specifically? Yeah, so I uh got into Netrunner say properly in 2021 when I was as many others were still sort of stuck in the pandemic and looking for new hobbies to pick up. Um I've always been really into board games and so that's kind of the angle I came into Netrunner from. Uh I haven't really played any other card game uh, or collectible card game before Netrunner. In 2021, I found, I think it was the uh, Team Covenant, the sort of old Team Covenant uh, teaching videos. And I remember having played Netrunner, I think once uh, or twice in 2016, again, as a sort of tabletop game and having really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, wow, I, I this game I completely like lost. Uh, it was completely lost in my memory. Um, and I started looking into it, and I think I went uh, through a journey of discovery that a lot of other people probably have gone through, where I uh, first found out about the game and was very excited about it, then got extremely sad when I saw that the game was being discontinued. <laughs> yes, same. And then once again, I got very excited, yeah. <laughs> uh, very excited to find out that there was actually a group of uh, of fans that were keeping the game going. Yeah. And so that sort of got me at turbo speed back into the game. I think I first picked up one of the original core sets, uh, a second-hand one. And then uh, as I was discovering Null Signal Games and what the great folks at Null Signal Games are doing, I discovered that they were going to be at Pax Unplugged in Philadelphia, where I lived. And so I I was like, this is wonderful. I was sort of like on my top excitement um, as I went there and it was a blast. I got to uh, meet Danby and June Cuervo, the lead designer at the time. Uh, there and I picked up all of the Null Signal Games uh, cards and I've been thinking about Netrunner probably every day uh, since then. <laughs> uh, and then uh, sort of a little bit in terms of uh, how I got to work uh, with Null Signal Games, I I am not 
I think, one of the best players, but I am very committed. And so I kind of want to put a lot of uh, my, my effort and time into the community. It's one of the most pleasant communities I've, I've been around, and that was from the very beginning. And so at first, I um, started making uh, started making an effort to get the community here in Philadelphia to, to sort of go again. I had found out from a bunch of, of videos and, and blog posts that uh, the Philly meta had been really... Uh, huge a few years back and so I was uh, trying to sort of help it uh, maybe like get rekindled a little bit and so I started organizing some meetups with a few friends that I actually uh, met at uh, PAX Unplugged so it was sort of the the, the start of, of it all Ooh. and then so sort of fostering the the meta was the first step then I started making some alt arts because I thought that was also another way to contribute to the community and then I was like that's not enough I really want to be part of all signal games and so I originally had applied for a rules editor position which I didn't get and I was sort of from there generally nudged into translation as somebody that has I'm not a uh, native English speaker. I uh, was born and raised in Italy um, and I spent a big chunk of my life in Finland. So I've sort of been uh, around a lot of different languages and, and it was sort of, I think, a, a good way I've been interested in languages for a long time. And so it sort of was a, was a good place for me to be able to contribute to, to the community. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, now, can you tell us, I know the, am I correct to say the translation team, besides the translators who... Um, it's, you've got a big team that you're working with. Um, the translation team that is the Null Signal Games people, that's two people. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Matt or Mr. Mr. Buggles is, well, was the head uh, of the translation team before I came in. And now we are sort of co-managers or heads of, of translation. And then there is uh, a lot of very committed uh, translators that within the different languages are, are, are working to actually translate the game. Could you tell us uh, like how many languages you're translating into and like how many translators you're working with? Something that I discovered today while I was preparing <laughs> for this interview is that uh, No Signal Games is actually translating the game in more languages than Fantasy Flight Games was doing. There were eight languages on top of English at the time and we are mm -hmm. currently translating the game in 11 different languages. Wow. And there's a 12th one that we're sort of working on, uh, which is great. So the, the game is translated in Chinese, uh, both traditional and simplified Chinese. And then in Catalan, French, German, Italian, Spanish, Polish, Portuguese, uh, Russian, Japanese. And we're working now on adding Korean to that as well. So cool. there's, a, there's a lot of languages. And the, the size of the different teams sort of varies. It's... Uh, from like two to three people in in some of the languages and and a little more um, more people in in some other languages, but there's sort of a great team of of committed translators for all of them. What's the scope of uh, what you translate? Um, I know we put out a lot of stuff. We put out articles. We put out um, you know lore pieces, um, and I guess most importantly, we put out cards. Um, I guess what are you hoping to translate, and what do you get translated? Uh, so I, I'd say the bulk, so most of what the effort of the translation team uh, goes towards is translating uh, the cards themselves. We just want people to be able to experience the game uh, in their native language if they if they uh, wish to. Um, and I think it's sort of very important to for people to be able to do that. It's, it's, it's very different to uh, be able to experience a game, especially to uh, the depth uh, of what Netrunner actually goes to in terms of the mechanics, for for instance, uh, in in one's native language. So most of it uh, is the the cards and the rule text itself. 
That also includes, of course, the, the lore that is in the flavor text and in the name uh, of the cards. We also translate uh, all the inserts that go inside each uh, pack of cards. So stuff that has to, to do with explaining into more detail new mechanics that, that come out, for example, or uh, some of the narrative inserts as well. And then the sort of other aspect is, and this is sort of, we're working on this and, and expanding it more and more. Um, we're working on translating also parts of the product pages and the, the web pages from the Null Signal Games uh, website. So it's sort of, that's, that's something else that we're trying to, to get to be more accessible for, for people. I know with the website, like, I realize most people who are listening to this podcast probably speak English to some extent, but if they have a friend uh, who wants to see the website in uh, their language as, as far as that's possible, what should you say to that friend about how you find um, the other languages on the website? Yeah, that's a very great point. So um, I would I would give them the uh, the sort of English uh, link to the website. And then on the top right corner, right next to the little uh, lens symbol for the for the search within the website, uh, there's a little drop-down menu uh, with uh, the languages that the website or the pages of the website are uh, translated into. There's also another more roundabout way if someone is interested to only uh, looking into the, the product pages uh, for the different packs of card um, that can be done within the product page itself. And then from there, the language can be, can be changed. And that gives access also to the print and play files, which are also translated, and to links to um, to get some of the cards in their preferred language. When a card set is released, I know uh, Null Signal Games tries to have as many languages ready at that time as possible, but also I realize it's teams of two people and, <laughs> and they're volunteers and they have lives, so maybe it doesn't always work. How can people see the status of like they're interested in a specific language? How can they see, you know, uh, how how many card sets are translated? Are there any that aren't translated, and so on? That's a great point. That actually, um, I think we we should improve a little bit upon. So I thank you for for bringing this up. Uh, we have an internal tracker that lets us know for each single set at what stage all of the languages are. Uh, that of course is only internal, but I think it would be nice to to make it uh, public so that everybody can mm. can see what's going on. Of course, we don't want to, as, as you mentioned earlier, we're all volunteers and uh, we're working to whatever degree uh, our life allows us to. So uh, we don't want to house a team of translators for yeah. being a lady in translating a set. But um, I would say in the meantime, uh, reaching out to me, and again, you can find me at, uh, on GLC and on uh, Steam Slack uh, as Pouch Surfer. Uh, if you have any question about specific languages that you uh, are wondering whether they are translated or if you have questions on when uh, a set is going to be translated, I would say feel free to reach out to me. I always love uh, to talk to people about Netrunner and anything Netrunner related. So you're more than welcome to do so. That's very cool. I'm wondering if you can take us through the translation process for cards. I know a teeny bit about it from the narrative <laughs> side. I know that Patrick usually writes up a little bit about card names, uh, what the intention behind them was, and uh, flavor text, what the intention behind them was. Does the rules team do something similar for the rules text? Yeah, so that, that's an aspect that is that we're sort of very, very proud of. Uh, there's, uh, we sort of work quite well in contact with the rules team and the narrative team. And that's important for, for two reasons. Whenever translating a card game, we want the rules to be as clear and uh, also concise as possible without uh, dropping any of the, of the meaning when they get translated. Uh, and so 
if at any stage our translators have any questions about any of the rules interactions or how the rules should be framed in the text, they can reach out to, to the rules team to, to sort of ask for, for clarifying questions. And then, as you mentioned as well, the narrative team uh, is really active. And what uh, we're extremely proud of at the translation team is that that's that in the past set, for, for instance, that actually has gone two ways. The fact that we have a very active Portuguese translation team yes. uh, made it possible for the narrative team to be able to sort of reach out and say, hey, we have this idea for, cool. for this setting or for this, uh, uh, for this uh, lore, sometimes for even the, some of the art. Um, so that was like the, the visual team, some of the art, like uh, it's just capturing this idea. And, and a lot of our Brazilian Portuguese translators were having input in that, which was with, we found awesome. Yeah, it's um, really, so, really lovely. Yeah, yeah, and so that's uh, that's that's a bit of the of the process when it comes to uh, the interaction within the different teams uh, and not signal games. Do you get to go back to the to the rules team or to development or design and say, "Hey, this card doesn't work because uh, we're trying to translate it and it's not <laughs> flying," or are you more in a position where you just have to say? Ay, ay, ay. Um, okay, we'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> At what stage do you get involved and do you get to have that uh, interplay? Yeah, so, so and, and this sort of ties together a little bit with a question that Ginevra had asked earlier, which maybe I didn't reply fully to, which is uh, like whenever a set gets released, like what happened, like when does tr translation come, come into play? And anytime we release a new set, we sort of try to get translation to start looking at the rules text before the game actually comes out in English. And that gives us sort of a little bit of time to start translating so that we can um, have as many languages as possible come out, if not when uh, the set is released, as close as possible to, to a set release. But what's really great about that is that um, it's sort of adding another 20 or 25 uh, pair of eyes to uh, the yes. <laughs> text. Now you have uh, a bunch of people looking at, at the rules text that can sort of go back to the rules team and be like, hey, um, I'm a little confused about the phrasing of this uh, rules interaction. I'm having a hard time translating it. And that has sort of a much higher chances of bringing up any, anything that might have slipped through the rules uh, sort of text. So yeah, it's, it's sort of, we like to fashion ourselves as helpers in that, in that regard as well, when it comes to, to just having more chances to pick up something that has slipped. Oh, that makes total sense. The clarifying questions you might be asking are like, oh, wow, great question. <laughs> yeah, and something something that um, in terms of like the actual inner workings of of translation. Uh, so something we use for translation is a computer aided or assisted translation, which makes it possible for us to have sort of snippets of text be translated um, in a given language in a way that is uh, sort of consistent. So whenever the rules team puts out a sort of a snippet of text that is I don't know at the start of turn something happens, we have a, a memory of translation that sort of brings that up, which in a in a sort of an interesting interplay with with the rules team it's a it's a great way to keep consistency also when we translate it in in other languages so that's something that that's very cool uh, i don't know if that i didn't know before joining the the translation team but it's it's a really awesome uh, piece of tech that we that we use oh so even if there's more than one way to translate at the beginning of your turn uh you're you're always translating it the same way which is that's right what you yeah. what you'd want from a you know robust rules uh, game like Netrunner. <laughs> yeah. Are there any interesting things that you can tell us about maybe the recent set that got brought up in the pr translation process? I have to think about that uh, a, a little bit because it's, uh, it's sort of hard to keep track of, of all the languages and what was uh, brought up. Um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the questions 
that were sort of like clarifying questions that were very, very interesting. A lot of them have to do with the name of a given card. So I, I think as a non-native speaker, something that I something that I don't realize often is the actual meaning of a given name. I remember, for example, uh, a question that got asked uh, during the last set was what the wheels meaning of uh, Hana wheels uh, pilintra meant, uh, which had sort of slipped. I wasn't sure what it meant. Um, something else that I had found out very soon after joining the translation was somebody I think had asked a question on Translating System Gateway a while back and it wasn't the card Regolith Mining License. And for the longest time, I, saw, I thought Regolith was uh, the name of a company. And then I, when I saw it translated in Italian, I was like, oh, wait, wait a second. That's uh, actually a, a mineral. And I it sort of <laughs> illuminated it. And that's, that's sort of to give an idea of like in how many ways you can gain more knowledge or, or a mm. better insight into the lore by thinking about it in different languages or, or, or possibly in your own uh, native native language yeah and i know some languages are um like can have shorter words or longer or some have characters or how does that whole because that changes the card layout and everything how does that process work so as a translation manager i would say a big part of of the work that that uh matt mr buggles and, and i do is actually to make sure that the layout is looking fine whenever a card is, is translated uh, because the, the translators themselves are the ones that make the, the word translation. We're, we're more focused on making sure that the visuals, uh, and that's of course done with the back and forth with the, with the translators team. One of the, one of the things that compared to many other, for example, uh, sort of Latin uh, languages or, or languages that originate from Latin, English is a lot less verbose. And so a lot of the times when translating into a language that doesn't have a single word to express a whole concept like English often does, the text gets a little longer and we sort of have to find a way to fit it while it's still being uh, legible and, and yes. understandable. So there's, there's a bit of a sort of accessibility uh, tag of war between mm -hmm. translating it into a different language in a way that is that is understandable and, cl and clear in a different language, but at the same time making maintaining the text uh, readability. And that's something that often we we have again back and forth with the translators to sort of try and see if uh, an expression can be translated into uh, maybe fewer words than it is, uh, or if we can sort of squeeze <laughs> it. I remember I think in the latest set some of the of the cards that when I saw the first proofs in English I I knew were going to be uh, a bit of a headache coming up. Where I think Bahia bands as a very long text, with a lot of bullet points, yeah. and so I think uh, Adrian says is another one that I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting <laughs> oh, one <yes>. too <laughs> to see translated. <laughs> there's a lot of text there, uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of very specific interactions with uh, with the mechanics that uh, that need to be incorporated. So yeah. uh, that's one aspect. The other aspect is, and this is something that again I was not thinking about it before before joining the, the translation team. But fonts are also something that changes. For example, with translating into other alphabets, uh, for example, with the Chinese or, or Russian alphabets, uh, sort of making sure that we're using a font that is understandable and that looks mm. sort of nice on on the card is is something else yeah. that we that we sort of have to keep in mind so in that respect uh once again the translators are doing an amazing job at, at sort of saying uh, telling us like hey this looks okay or hey we should try something a little different to improve the readability of this um of this uh piece of uh of text one uh, sort of translation question i know one of the challenges of any translation any interpretation is balancing i guess absolute fidelity to what you're translating versus 
making your translation readable and sound like the language you're translating it into. Mm -hmm. Like you wouldn't just want a word for word translation that would read terribly. Um, And I guess similarly, you know, there's sort of some questions of localization, you know, because you're not just translating into another language, but also sometimes that goes along with another culture. So how do you manage those conflicts and like can you think of any situations where that's come up um yeah that's definitely sort of an interesting aspect of translation i think and i'm I'm saying this sort of from the point of view of italian which is my native language and so it's what i feel maybe most comfortable uh speaking about so it's also the language that i've been working maybe a little more closely with the translators in solving some of those of those issues translating word by word never really leads to something that that reads clearly in in another language that isn't English, but also, of course, as you as you mentioned, you you want to maintain, in a way, at least the the rules fidelity. One of the ways we try and do that is by having sort of in, like internal consistency within a new language. So once we decide to not translate literally, but with a with a new uh, phrase or form in a new language, we just want to maintain that consistent across the different sets so that we don't have different ways to say the same, to express the same concept. That's one way to do it. And then I think often there's, and this is another place where the narrative team comes in really strongly is our translators would sort of go back to the narrative team and get a better insight into uh, what a specific uh, piece of flavor text or name uh, would want to refer to. And once again, all the credit goes to the translators. They do a lot of thinking into recognizing whether that's something that can be actually like better homed uh, from a from a cultural and, and language standpoint in uh, their own native language, or if that's something that can be sort of uh, transformed in a way from uh, from the English and and used that way. I I'm trying to think of some uh, some examples of that. I think one of the one of the languages that in Italian was was giving some. Um, some troubles, and I remember having a long conversations with the Italian translators about it. Was a uh, name of the card Chrysopian uh, skimming, oh, yes. uh, which, <laughs> which is that's hard. So the, yeah, I know that there's sort of a, there's a lot of layers there. The first one is to sort of take a take a name and make it into a name that isn't like originally in English and make that into an adjective. That's something that it's hard to do in many other languages. Uh, the the sort of specifics uh, of the meaning of the word skimming, which has this sort of like different meaning, one in terms of like the of fraudulent behavior, another one in terms of uh, of what you actually do with uh, with liquids or with like solids within liquids. And so I remember having a very long conversation with the translators team and them having a conversation with the narrative team to try and figure out what was the best way to uh, to translate that. And in that case, we resolved to the fact that simplicity was the best way to get away with that. And so we decided to translate skimming with, with frode in Italian, which uh, is sort of a, a just a more generic way to say fraud. But mm. we sort of we sort of found out that was the best way for us to be understandable uh, whilst also losing as little as possible of the um, of the meaning of the of the name. I know within the text, like I think FFG used to do he or she, and I know most games have now moved to saying they in in terms of rules text for the player. But is that hard with languages that are gendered? Like you can do that in English, it's fine. But is it hard in other languages? It it definitely is. Yeah, I would say I would say it requires a bit of an effort to try and have a, a language that is. 
uh, inclusive from a, from a gender standpoint. And that is something that we've worked really hard to try and, and maintain the gender inclusivity in other languages as well, because we are committed to be as inclusive as possible. Uh, and we want to reflect the fact that we don't just want the English uh, translation of the card to be, or, or, or a version of the cards to be inclusive, but we also want uh, every other languages to do so. And I, I think that's something else that a lot of the translators have done incredible work uh, and and they put a lot of effort into uh try and 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 make their language as uh, as inclusive as possible or, or their own language as inclusive as, po as possible in the, in the translation and it isn't easy as a again uh, uh, i feel like i'm bringing this up a lot but as a as a native italian speaker uh, we have we have gender words for anything like any object has as a gender in italian and that complicates things in of itself but at the same time uh there is it's sort of hard to find a way to have a gender neutral uh, pronoun in Italian. And so it's something that I, I am incredibly thankful uh, to all the translators for having, having worked really hard. All the translators are on board with uh, making the game as inclusive as possible. And they're very committed to uh, doing so in their own native language, which is awesome, I think. Yeah, really awesome. A little bit of a switch on topic. Are you all looking for translators? Or do you want, uh, are you, are you recruiting? Um, and like, what are you looking for? Like, what does somebody need to be a translator for us? Okay, so this is going to be, uh, in, in the answer to this question, a, a bit of a, of a PSA and an apology. We, I think, have not really been uh, in the past few months on top of uh, recruitment because it's been a very, very busy time with uh, not one, but three sets uh, needing to be translated. The two remasters and the Automata Initiative coming out sort of all at the same time. The translation team has been sort of hard at work for the past few months. Uh, we are always happy to welcome new uh, translators. And if you are a listener and have applied to be a translator, that's something that we'll get on uh, right away and apologize if uh, we haven't been very, very fast on uh, on that right now. And if, if you're sort of asking yourself the question, like, am I the right person to be a translator at Null Signal Games? We sort of ask a few things. The first one is to uh, be not only fluent in your native language, uh, but also in English. And that's because a lot of the uh, translation work is is um, has to be done on uh, the English version uh, of the cards. Um, if you have some experience with the game, uh, that helps a lot. And that, of course, helps when translating a specific concept, um, helps knowing about the game. But you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a... Uh, world champion finalist or or a top eight at any continental you can uh have played the game just as a as a kitchen table game uh, and that's more than enough for us um and of course if you have some experience with uh translation that's wonderful and so a lot of the translators that are currently part of the team have translated uh, either uh, video games or other board games or sometimes sort of blog posts uh, a lot of the people that that we have have uh some some experience with uh, translation before. Having said that, I might not be the best person to say that because I don't have a ton of experience with, with translation <laughs> myself. I have a little bit of it, of course, uh, in in my life, and I've had in 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 my career uh, a little bit of it. But I I don't have really a background in translation, so we appreciate you having some experience with it. But of course, you don't have to be a professional translator to to join the team by by any means. Are there any communities that you know, like you're looking for someone who could translate to their language, like any languages that you're hoping someone will come for? <laughs> That's something that we have to do a bit of a bit of a self-reflection when it comes to, because ideally we would want to translate Netrunner in any language we can. And 
we think we're doing a pretty good job already and we always want to do better and so in a way we uh sometimes are, are victims of our of our own success in a way we just always want to add more languages and never <laughs> people translate it uh, of course that comes with having more work uh and any new language means redoing the whole work of production one extra time on top of the uh, 11 or soon 12 times that uh, that we're doing that so we have to to juggle a little bit two things first is the interest for a new language that isn't currently being translated to be translated. So anytime that increases and, and we sort of uh, have this building or mounting interest for a new language to be translated, that's something that we start looking into. And then, of course, we need volunteers that are willing to translate that language uh, or never run into that, that language as well. Uh, and so I would say at the moment, we don't really have any of the languages that we feel like we want to invest in. But if any of the listeners feel like their language is not translated fast enough and want to join the team, I would say I would encourage you to apply and, and join the team because uh, the more the merrier. And if at any point we we find sort of an increasing interest for a new language to come up, I I think I would have a very hard time saying no. Of course, as I mentioned before, it would mean a lot more work. But um, yeah, I think I think it would be awesome as well. Yeah, I know as uh, somebody in the marketing department, I feel like we want to be doing a better job of, you know, knowing where those pockets of players are. And I think it's definitely possible that there's um, communities that would love to have the game in their language that we don't know about. And so we'll, when we get better at it, we'll also, we'll be, we'll be working. And I, and I'd <laughs> love that. All right. Uh, now, Seba, um, thank you. This has been really lovely. Um, I learned a lot and uh, I always enjoy talking to you about Netrunner and other stuff. What closing thoughts do you have? Uh, is there are there questions that we should have asked that we didn't? Uh, what can you tell us? <laughs> I am not sure. I think you did a great job at asking me a lot of questions that even some that I hadn't uh, thought about myself. So it was really fun to uh, to answer them. Uh, and thank you so much for having me on. It's been it's been a blast chatting with you too. I would say um, in terms of closing thoughts, I haven't seen uh, this the translation of this past set and how much uh, I think it was sort of easy to see how much a community that we uh, in the translation uh, team had a close contact with, which was our Portuguese translators, seeing how, like, from from what they're saying, uh, the set has been received really, really positively in in their community. I'm really looking forward to to that in, in the future as well. I think one of the beautiful things about Netrunner that Null Signal Games has done an incredible job at not only maintaining from the FFG times, but also sort of improving upon is how how diverse and and varied and beautiful uh, the sets are. So I'm really looking forward to future settings, and I'm really looking forward to sort of what can be our contribution from the translators department uh, into sort of uh, making a new set in a in a new uh, setting uh, come into life. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for being here. Thank you for a great interview. Thank you. And here's the news. Uh, so, um, in terms of updates on uh, Null Signal's website, uh, some exciting things that I saw. Uh, we have uh, an update from the startup balance team. At the moment, there's not any new updates, but there's some really great information about sort of their philosophy and uh, what's coming up. Also, uh, in terms of what's coming up, there's an update from the production team. So, you know, if you're curious about the progress towards set two of the liberation cycle, the sequel to the Automata Initiative, that's worth checking out. 
And um, in terms of tournaments coming up, there's a, a circuit opener in Sheffield, which is part of like the UK is doing a roads to nationals kind of series. That's on the 7th of October. And then there's kind of not really other tournaments because everything's leading up to Worlds. And I think everyone's getting really excited for Worlds. I know not everyone can come. I know tickets sold out. Um, but also you can watch along on Null Signal Games' Twitch channel. And I'm sure there'll be like lots of interactions and comments and stuff to see. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to watching it. And in other news, uh, if you remember last episode, we announced uh, quite a few nationals. And to close out our new segment, I'm going to talk about our nationals winners. And here are those nationals winners. Uh, congratulations to the winner of the Finland Combination Baltics co-nationals, Aksu. Nice job. Uh, congratulations to the French nationals winner who also won the Belgian startup uh, event, Ryan Van Twins. Uh, congratulations to the winner of Hungarian Nationals, uh, Mild Sort 10, uh, the winner of the Australian uh, East Coast Nationals, Mr. Sticks, or East Side of Australia, at least. Congratulations to the Polish Nationals winner, uh, Matuszczak. Uh, congratulations to the Belgian Nationals winner, Belazor. Congratulations to the Swiss Nationals winner, Tradon. And uh, congratulations to the New Zealand Online uh, Nationals winner, uh, Ziat. Great job, everyone, and great job to the TOs for running such what looks like such wonderful events. Um, and, of course, you know, the other participants. Nice work. Hello, hello, welcome back. It's us at the Rules Desk. I'm Ed. I'm Cephalopod. And thank you ever so much for joining us here. We're talking about lifestyle choices this evening uh we're going to ask you not to smoke please that's right it's n6 some might know it as no change in game state as for what is no change in game state it is a rule that says you can't use abilities or play cards if they can't do anything why is why does it exist lots of board games have a rule like this because they just don't want you to spin the wheels to do nothing in Netrunner, it seems to have been printed because of Geist. Because Geist is an identity that says, whenever you use a trash can ability, draw a card. And if you are allowed to, to use one of these abilities to accomplish nothing, but still draw the card, then that's something that the designers might have felt was a bad way to play Netrunner. This applies to a much wider part of Netrunner than just Geist, though. For example, if you have a Diesel but you don't have any cards in your stack, you cannot play Diesel because there's no cards to draw and it wouldn't do anything. Mm. The technical definition is that if the effect of an ability doesn't do anything, then you're not allowed to use it and you need to ignore the costs when making this evaluation. One of the classic examples that everyone might come to learn is Simulchip. Because one of the things that you can do with Simulchip is you can say, I would like to refresh my imp or something that comes into play with counters. You can pay the cost to use Simulchip, trash imp, and then reinstall that same imp. But not if there's no programs in your heap, because the game will make the evaluation. There's no cards in the heap. We can't do anything with this Simulchip, so you're not allowed to use it. Even though imp is going to be in the heap later on as a result of you paying that cost. 
As for why we keep this around, it's been there a long time and it's tough to it's tough to get rid of. We have started thinking about getting rid of it recently, though. Okay. No estimates on when exactly that happens, though. So I know that some games, you said that some games do use N6. I know some games don't use N6. What would be the kind of the benefits of uh, removing it from the game and from rules? Right now, the benefit is that a lot of things get simpler. Simulchip. There's currently a flowchart somewhere that explains, can you use Simulchip? What will it take to use Simulchip? And that gets a lot easier if we can say, you can always use Simulchip. Hmm. No change in game state is also something that's a little bit of an inconsistent rule because we have an exception that's built into the game that says you can always trash virus count or you can always purge virus counters. And the reason for yes. that is that there's a, there's a meme on, there's a meme on GLC yeah. of Prince saying you can always purge virus counters. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason for that is that there's some programs that say trash this when the corp purges virus counters, but that's not something that makes it into the evaluation of whether purging virus counters would change the game state. Strictly speaking, if this exception didn't exist, we would have to say there's no virus counters on the board at all. I don't see any reason to allow you to purge virus counters. So they had to make that exception into the rules. Sure. Just from a layperson's perspective, just to re go over that again, because I think it's quite important. The the purging virus counters will look for virus counters and not see them. It won't be looking for the, uh, say, on clot, for example, trash clot. Is that right? Yeah, if the rules designers had forgotten to make that exception, then you would end up in situations where you can't purge clot because there's no virus counters around to purge. Mm. However, we made that exception because it's important to be able to purge clot. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I noticed, so. I noticed you've mentioned uh, a great blog post. Uh, I remember reading when it came out. Uh, we'll link it in the in the show notes, but shout out to Postis who occasionally does a little bit of a rules deep dive in a blog form. Uh, it's logic-bomb.net. Again, we'll post that in the show notes, uh, but really worth checking out. I know there hasn't been an article on there for a couple of months, but still there's some really great stuff there. Yeah. And for some closing examples of no change in game state, Spin Doctor gets to answer for a lot of crimes because of people asking can I use it in this circumstance? Some examples are, well, if you move cards from archives into your deck, that's always a change in game state because we know we're moving cards into a different place. But Spin Doctor says you can shuffle up to two cards. What if I would like to shuffle zero cards back into the deck? And we have ruled that shuffling the deck is a change in game state. So if you just want a different card on the top of your deck, for example, the runner ran R&D and you know it's not an agenda, but you want an agenda. You can remove Spin Doctor from the game just to shuffle R&D in order to hopefully draw an agenda. However, if there are no cards in R&D, you can't shuffle zero cards back with Spin Doctor because you aren't shuffling any cards. It's not a change in game state. And if you I have one card probably, left in... This is probably a really obvious one that I think you're about to answer. Sorry. Um, yeah. If there's one card left in archives and zero cards in R&D, can you spin doctor? Yes, you can. Now, the if you decide that you're spin doctoring one card from archives to R&D, you can do that because you're moving a card between zones. The situation where some people ask about is if I have one card left in my deck and I want to remove spin doctor from the game just to shuffle my deck, 
does shuffling one card count as a change in game state? And that one does not because R&D is still in the order that it was before. And that's deterministic. No one could possibly argue that maybe it's in a different order if I shuffled my one card. Hmm. But there's all kinds of little weird exceptions that contribute to us wanting to get rid of no change in game state, such as if you play a modal card like Deuce's Wild, and you have the modes to gain credits, make a run, draw cards, you can make the evaluation that I'm allowed to play Deuce's Wild because it could give me credits, but you don't have to actually choose modes that then proceed to do anything. For example, if you have some effects that are preventing you from making runs or preventing you from drawing cards, you could play deuces and pass the evaluation for changing the game state because you could gain credits, but then you choose the modes to make runs and draw cards, and both are prevented and you have changed nothing about the game state, but you've managed to circumvent no change in game state. So you could play, for two credits, you could play Deuces Wild to draw cards with no cards left in the stack and remove tags with no tags. I think you can. I'm going to have to double check on the tags one. But in general, then they just become instructions that you try to resolve as much as you can. So it's a, it's a bit silly that... Have I... Rules the rules team. Yeah, uh, rules the rules team. Rules the rules team. <laughs> what would your... Okay, put you on the spot. It's in the middle of a tournament. We need a rules decision now. What would your call be? I would say that you can do that because it's... Very difficult to imagine a circumstance where this would actually be a benefit to the player. Mm -hmm. But if they really want to do a skateboard trick to prove that they can make no change in game state, but still play the card, then good for them. Good for them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, if, if anyone thinks of a reason why a player might want to do that, do let us know. Drop us a Don't line tempt them. And... They'll come at me with five rotated cards and say, can this work? <laughs> Of course, yes, we haven't mentioned that before, but any rules questions do please send into the show. Seth loves answering uh, rules questions. <laughs> I do. I can't lie. Thanks very much for your time, Seth Laboz, with us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, I really enjoyed doing this episode. Um, thanks for being here. Uh, Ginevra, what have you been up to? Um, well, with the Nationals, I enjoyed playing in the New Zealand Nationals online. That was very, very cool. Um, very, very competitive. Um, and I, one of the things I love about Netrunner is kind of that smurfing is, is possible or allowed sometimes and like changing identities. I think that's really, really cool um, that it's permitted. And I also got the opportunity to go to the Australian East Coast Nationals. And I loved seeing people. That was really, really great. <laughs> that was a really good time. Oh, that sounds so, lovely. Those have been my Netrunner highlights recently. How about you? So for me, you know, we did the um, Nova Ampere tournament and I am so proud of my competitive result because I finished an even record, uh, three and three, no, um, yeah, three and three. Uh, with my giant decks. They were big, uh, as big as legally possible, and I was <laughs> able to get a 50-50 uh, split with them. So I'm really happy with cool. myself. And in other news, Worlds is coming up. I'm behind, but uh, we're going to have an article out. Hopefully it's out by, by the time this podcast is out. Queen Bee is coming up. How do you become yeah. the best bee champion at Worlds? Um, there's a list of cards that you should check out. And if you put them in your deck and let me know, 
um, you can become the queen bee. This is not an official null state goal <laughs> thing. This is not an official. It's cool. This is not official in any way, but you can be the official queen bee. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us today. It was really lovely to have you, and I hope yeah. you have a wonderful day. 